Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. Uh, I'm S. Garlic and you might have noticed a small, well, in fact, quite a large gap in service recently. Uh, this is because um, I, like most people who cover Formula E, have a day job and that requires me sometimes to, you know, really plough into that and to, uh, uh, unfortunately, not spend time on the extracurricular stuff that uh, is is enjoyable but nonetheless takes up a lot of time. But uh, hoping to get fully back on the train uh, between now and certainly the end of the Formula E season and also to have some uh, fun EV stuff after that as well. Anyway, uh, in this podcast we'll be talking about some issues that arose after the Portland E-Prix and also some issues that are likely to arise during the Rome E-Prix um, and um, we'll, we'll be keeping it all fairly evergreen and current because uh, you may end up listening to this after Rome and I still want you to have a reason to uh, tune in if so. Anyway, uh, for this one, uh, first time this season, I believe, I'm joined by uh, the uh, German genius himself from uh, e- from E4ML stroke E-Formula, and maybe you can explain more about that, uh, Mr. Toby Bloom. Hello. Hello. How are you? It's so good, good to be back here. Oh, it's, feel... it's wonderful to have you back. Um, yeah, I, I'm, nice, I'm good. Nice, cozy place here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's 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 like uh, it's like a comfy sofa. Um, doesn't matter how infrequently or frequently you come back to it, the sofa still feels the same, right? It does. It feels like coming back home and like you're sitting like in, in your parents' living room. It's it's great being here with you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm, I'm good as well. Um, looking forward to the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to Rome and London and believe it or not, it's always really exciting for us journalists to go to the race as well because at the end of the day, we are also fans. <laughs> we report on it and we it's a lot of work, obviously. Um, but I'm also going there just to enjoy the racing and I'm really looking forward to finally some enjoyable racing, honestly. Um, because, I mean, you just touched on Portland. Um I didn't enjoy Portland, and I'm looking forward to getting back some good old-fashioned Formula E racing in Rome and London. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing you can say about the Formula E crowd, uh, we all have different interests and you know different levels of commitment to the sport, uh, etc. But uh, the the, bo- the the bottom line is, uh, within Formula E, we have OnlyFans. We do have OnlyFans. Ah, oh, we ha- yeah, we have OnlyFans. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a bit for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, we um we do, we do not have OnlyFans, and Motion E will never have an OnlyFans. Just in case anyone ah. was. Uh... <laughs> Anyhow, um, Toby, lovely to have you. Uh, let's uh, let's let's look through a few of the uh, recent issues that have come up. Um, I I watched uh, I watched Portland um, with interest, but particularly because. Uh, DS Penske had to start the race from the pit lane as part of their penalty, including a record fine of €25,000 for breaking the rules regarding having an RFID scanner on the edge of the pit wall. Um, This was apparently to read the uh, sensors, the barcode, effectively the barcode in inverted commas, although it's not actually a barcode in reality, on the the side of the tyres. So... Mm -hmm. uh, 
maybe maybe we can go into explaining a bit uh, why why that might be useful information for a team, and um, then I'd like to get on to uh, what certain people have said about it. But let's just focus first of all on why that would be useful information, because I think a lot of people are thinking, well, what could they have done with that? Yeah, the main thing they could have done with that is learning about what tires their rivals are using. Um, so they set up this RFID scanner. They scanned technically not the barcodes, but the RFID chips. Chips they are in the tire, so not on, on the side wall of it. They are literally in the tire, and they scanned them and thus gained information about which tire set the car they were scanning on was using. And they didn't only scan their own cars because you wouldn't need the information. You already know which tires you put on. I mean, hopefully you do um, <laughs> before the run. <laughs> and they used these scanners to check out which tires their competitors were using um, on previous runs. So say we are halfway through FP1 in Port or FP2 in Portland and a Nissan enters the pit lane, it's Sasha Fenestras, and the RFID scanner scans the tire or the, the RFID chip within Fenestras's tires and tells DS Penske, all right, this car was using tire set A. And then they can correlate the information. <clears throat> Sorry, they can, they can then correlate the information of how quick Fenestras was going on tire set A compared to maybe another run on tire set B. And that's valuable information um, if you want to know which run plans seem to work for competitors. Um, it doesn't really help you in the racing, funnily enough. It's like in the races, it's mainly useful for qualifying runs. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of work analyzing this, obviously, um, but it seems to be worthwhile, I guess, because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Hmm. Um, and Diaz also say that it's sort of commonplace by now in Formula E. I wasn't aware of this before Portland. I'll I'll be honest here. Well, uh, that um, so Jean Jean Eric Verne says, uh, um, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the tweet in front of me. But basically, he said uh, we we got slapped for something that uh, uh, that everyone does in every other form of motorsport. Um, mm-hmm. So I. And I've, I'll come to why that straw man argument has a certain amount of logical gym, gymnastics needed from the driver. But uh, yeah, why might he say that? Mainly just within Formula E, it seems like other teams have started to hire photographers to take pictures of the tires their rivals are using. Because you can get the same piece of information. Are they on tire set A or tire set B? by looking at barcodes on the sideboards of the tires. And if you zoom in close enough and take a picture of it, you can also correlate the barcode to tire set A or tire set B and then know more about what times uh, they were doing uh, on their runs with set the tire set. Um, so Vern said, instead of taking pictures of the, the, the barcodes, we maybe found a shortcut um, and saved some some picture analysis work uh, by just scanning the RFID chip, carrying the same information, um, and then correlate that to the lap times. The problem I have with that argument is that by scanning the RFID chip, you don't just get the information about what tire the car was using. You could theoretically also find out more about 
the temperatures uh, or the pressure development throughout the last couple of laps. That th These pieces of information are being recorded by the sensor and are only to be used by the teams, uh, which then also when, as soon as the cars return to the garage, they scan the barcodes and RFID chips for themselves um, to find out more about the tire usage on the previous run. But hmm. DS theoretically access that kind of telemetry and live telemetry as well, which has always been strictly forbidden in, in Formula E. So it's a really curious case. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what kind of mental gymnastics uh, Van was 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 doing when, when arguing that we're doing nothing wrong there. Yes, um, and uh, it, it, it's it's certainly uh, something that so, something for which you need to jump through some hoops to get to that point because by, by saying uh, it's commonplace for teams in other sports to uh, um, to use their own tire sensors to find data, uh, therefore we should be able to find the data of other teams' tires. That that's that's equivalent to saying uh, if I commit credit card fraud by using someone else's card, that's basically the same as me paying for something with, with my own credit card. Is it not? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think what he was trying to say is that in other championships, you do get some sort of telemetry information from other mm. teams, um, but it's usually not tire pressures and temperatures. It's how quickly they were going. Uh, maybe their uh, fuel usage, maybe when and how hard they were braking. In F1, it's public information uh, about the top speeds and all that. But in Formula E, it's always been forbidden to... I'm not sure if it's been forbidden to analyze telemetry data uh, from other teams. Uh, but you didn't get access to telemetry from other teams. Mm. And that's what DS Penske did in that situation. They they weren't given access to <laughs> telemetry from other teams. They just accessed yeah. other teams' telemetry. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not even going to say it was clever or cunning because uh, it, it, it seemed... Uh, when when the information came out as to why they'd been moved to the pit lane, um, it, it's it seemed so egregious and so against the spirit of Formula E um, uh, as as uh, we had come to understand it, or as I had come to understand it, that I actually wondered why the cars were being allowed to race. Um, and uh, in in fact, uh, um, this penalty was announced during qualifying, and. Uh, um, jean eric Verne was still able to complete his duels lap uh, because apparently there are well apparently because well there there are, there are points up, up for grabs for, for qualifying but um it, it, you you could argue that uh, if if a team finishes let's say one point ahead of another team in the team's championship and gets uh, more prize money uh, for a qualifying session in which in which they were done effectively for cheating, let's call a spade a spade, then um, it, you you kind of end up getting into difficult legal territory if that's the difference between you know X team and Y team surviving, for example. Yeah, but I I beg to differ because I think the penalty wasn't handed out for an infringement in qualifying. Um, if I remember correctly, the penalty was applied because of them scanning RFID chips in the practice sessions. Yes. And it was only announced during qualifying, but That's right. the offense yeah. took place in, in practice. Um, 
so I, I have no problem with Jeff taking place in, in qualifying in that situation. Mm. Um, it's just, if, if, say, if a member of the team didn't wear a crash helmet, helmet while working in the pit lane uh, during mm. practice, that penalty might also get announced during qualifying, and it's a fine and maybe a sporting penalty as well. Not in the crash helmet case, but... I didn't mind it being announced during qualifying. What I did mind, and that's maybe a Diaz Penske problem, is that they told him right before <laughs> jumping into his car, like, mate, you have a penalty, by the way. You'll be starting from the pits anyway. Um, yeah, I have no idea how that how anybody would think that that that's a good idea. Like telling your driver well, right before he's jumping in the car into the car for qualifying that he it doesn't matter what he's doing anyway. <laughs> yes, yes. Although, although the the opposite uh, tack, of course, was taken earlier in the earlier in the season by Envision, where they just plain didn't tell Nick Cassidy he didn't need to do his qualifying lap, uh, and then he was told by Nicky Shields in the interview booth afterwards. <laughs> yeah, or remember Lucas Degrassi in the London pit lane uh, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't tell him about being disqualified from the race. <laughs> <laughs> because they they figured well maybe maybe we'll be able to argue this afterwards but uh, no I'm sorry he didn't he wasn't disqualified he had just uh, had, had been given a drive for a penalty and they didn't tell him about the drive for penalty and because Degrassi didn't serve it because he didn't know he had a drive through he got black flagged. Well, um, that's Lu- the story from Lucas, oh. De- Lucas Degrassi is playing such elegant 5D chess that he already knew he was disqualified <laughs> before the stewards met. <laughs> exactly because he has. Telepathic. I'm sure Lucas Degrassi has some. He has many skills, and I think one of those skills is um, otherworldly. Let's say. Well, <laughs> yes, he he is Formula E's Doctor Strange lookalike for a reason. Maybe Lucas Degrassi is Mahindra's RFID scanner. They just <laughs> sit him on the on the pit wall, and he's looking at cars going by and is scanning other teams' RFID chips. <laughs> Well, gives, yeah, feeds back the information about tire pressures to Mahindra. Maybe they have an interesting solution for that. Yeah, <laughs> p- p- potentially. Um, just, just, for, just very quickly on on Mahindra as well. Um, th- there were a couple of stories since the last time we did a podcast um, that uh, um, re- really shocked a few people and. Um, uh, m- many many people suspected that the stories were linked. In fact, they weren't. Uh, but uh, uh, of course, Jack Nichols was uh, fired by Formula E from his role as commentator, um, and that's something which uh, I don't think we can cover in any depth because uh, there's uh, b- because there might there might well be something legal going on behind the scenes, which uh, which I'm not aware of, and I don't want to uh, uh, be seen as uh, you know stepping on that, but. Uh, also, Oliver Rowland uh, was um, uh, v- voluntarily vacated his seat for the remainder of the season in uh, what struck everyone, I think, as an awfully strange move. Um, and in came uh, Formula Two former backrunner uh, Roberto Meri and um, and um, pay driver. Um, now, Roberto Meri is obviously a startlingly good-looking gentleman but uh he's not brought very much else to the team uh if we're being completely objectifying about it has he <sighs> not really but i'm not sure that's a roberto mary problem it might just be a mahindra problem this year <laughs> I, I find his career path super interesting um by the way moving from what was a dtm 
to Formula Renault 3.5 to mm -hmm. be actually being an F1 driver and then returning to Formula Renault 3.5. Um, and now he's ended up in, in Formula E, oddly enough. Yeah, um, <sighs> it's, it's a spectacular graph. Um, but um, <laughs> when, when Oliver Rowland um, a, a, a mutually agreed with the team to vacate his seat, um, no, no hint of bad blood has uh, seemingly come out in the media since then. So uh, it, it does seem to be a genuine mutual decision based around uh, the financial circumstances, um, etc. But do you do you have any information on why that happened and uh is um because previously the only times that's happened are in f1 when jacques Villeneuve and juan pablo montoya were stood down from their seats um allegedly for signing deals with nascar um but it's mm -hmm. it's not happened for such a long time since then um and that's really what caused the shock um does he have something on his calendar for uh, after his contract expires or was this a pure financial decision by the team ah, i don't have information but i have speculation and that's what i excel in hmm. um i think from what i've heard oliver roland was unhappy with how uncompetitive mahindra's package is this year um that's not to say that he just threw the towel and said well i'm, I'm quitting um I'm, I'm leaving for for some some better place um, but it might have something to do with Mahindra's performance this year or Oliver's perception of how Mahindra might develop throughout the next couple of years. Um, that said, I have no like clear indication as to why exactly he left, um, but I fully expect him to return to Formula E um, in a more competitive car next year. It looks like I mean, silly season's just starting, um, but it looks like Oliver Rowland might be an attractive candidate for Andretti next year if Andre Lotterer um, just retires from Formula E. Uh, his current results don't really speak for him. Um, mm. he's, he's been underperforming for a couple of years now. He's not the youngest as well. Um, sorry, Andre, but <laughs> it might be the truth that some young gun and i'll yeah is oliver Rowland still a young gun how old is he uh, he's younger than than andre lutter i'm sure um yeah yeah um, 30 just googled it oliver, oliver Rowland is 30 and andre lutter 42 i mean i Go i on. may i maybe have been guilty of uh, guilty of underrating oliver Rowland's racing abilities that that is uh purely based on the fact that uh since since he bagged his win for nissan in uh the berlin season the mm. the berlin mini season um <laughs> season <laughs> yeah um, the, the 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 berlin residency makes it sound like a banger doesn't it um but, it does <laughs> um uh um in in uh well that that would be uh the 20 1920 season um he's really regressed in terms of in my opinion at least in terms of the number of accidents he's been involved in he's not alone in that and when you are a midfield racer in formula e accidents are an occupational hazard unfortunately but uh, he doesn't seem to be able to keep himself out of trouble and i i wonder how much of that is down to his mental approach and the frustration of not being where he believes he ought to be uh, in terms mm. of position and um, how much of that is down to uh, some kind of fundamental flaw in in his in his overall approach to racing? Um, I I I wonder in that sense. And um, 
I, I, I also wonder whether maybe there are other, you know, uh, other perhaps younger drivers who are going to be cheaper than he is. Because don't forget, he, he left that Nissan seat, well, partly because uh, they were changing um, changing management uh, um, mm. um, or they were they were in the process of transitioning management. Uh, they 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 they, I think, became more under con- under the control of Nissan that season, and partly because um, he wanted uh, to be paid what he was worth, and he he was still on what amounted to an apprentice's contract at that time. So maybe there are teams thinking, well, you know, especially with the budgetary squeeze, perhaps we should hire a driver who doesn't have such strong expectations. Um, your opinion, Toby. I mean, he's he's a young dad now. Maybe children are expensive and he needs the money <laughs> from, from another team. I'm not so sure whether it's a financial decision, to be honest. Um, I think drivers in, in Formula E earn a good amount of money. Um, the top earners must be around the 1 million benchmark. I'd say Oliver Oland was far below that, but he didn't have to worry about financials too much, I would say. Um, so I'd, I believe him when he says, I, when he would say, if he, does, if he doesn't say it yet, but if he returns and says, I wanted to return to a more competitive team than previously with Mahindra, I'd believe him. Um, so I, it, it's just my feeling. Again, um, I, I'm, I don't know why he left Mahindra, but my feeling is that he wanted something more competitive and not something more financially viable, to be honest. Um, it's obviously always a factor, the, the financials, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think competitiveness of the package slightly outweighs or outweighed in the decision-making process for him. Um, yeah. If you have the option of, well, maybe next year, you might be racing an Andretti with a Porsche powertrain and you could, if you commit yourself now, bag that seat. Um, and the price you'll have to pay is half a season less with Mahindra. I think that's a a worthwhile deal, and I'd take the deal as well. Um, Because I'd much rather race in a Porsche than in a Mahindra right now. Maybe Oliver thinks the same. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Um, Especially given what he's seen uh, his buddy Jake Dennis do in that car as well. Definitely, yeah. An all-British lineup for, for Andretti next year? How's that sound? But uh, I think, I I think, mm-hmm. and in, in fact, there's an article by Sam Smith on the race about this. Um, I, I think um, what we're seeing from Andre Lotterer is not up to scratch uh, compared to uh, what we should be seeing. Um, Andretti hired him to uh, provide the level of support to Jake Dennis, which they felt Oliver Askew was not giving um, last season. Mm-hmm. Askew actually was on the upward curve he he'd lost a lot of confidence uh, in that season but uh, he he was starting to get his mojo back towards the end of that season and uh, um to drop him for Lotterer uh, suggested that they felt Lotterer was worth a lot was worth a lot more in terms of points than he's been able to get this season um i think that there's been too many times when he's been uh, off the off the mark in qualifying, and too many times when he's not been able to play the team game. And um, 
it's it's cost Dennis in the drivers' championship, but it's also cost Andretti in the teams' championship, where where they are. Uh, well, they, they they ought to be second in the teams' championship, and they're not, frankly. Um, um, and yeah, it's it's just a frustrating situation, I think, for Andretti, or I would imagine it is. Um, but L- Lotterer is an excellent driver, and I think will always be for as long as he chooses to race. I'm, you know. It's an open secret. I am roughly the same age as him, so I'm not being ageist when I say this. But I I think that uh, Formula E is increasingly becoming a young driver's game. Uh, I don't have any particular reasoning behind that, but it's just that... Uh, when when you look at the drivers who've been successful in in Gen two and Gen three, they tend not to be the veterans. They tend to be the people who have uh, focused on Formula E as their sole as their as their sole form of motorsport. And um, I wouldn't blame Andre Lotterer if he was looking at how exciting sports cars and endurance racing is at the moment and thinking, you know, I really want to be there. Uh, you know. Um, on the top step of the podium at Le Mans, potentially when Penske team Porsche um, pull it out of the bag because, you know, that's an exciting new LMDH chassis. Porsche have been the best in capitalising on the new regulations um, of the of the sort of uh, 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 LMDH side of things. And, um, yeah, it, it's an exciting form of motorsport to be in. So... I would not be surprised if maybe he wants to spend a bit more time with the family, uh, focus on sports cars and, uh, you know, really kind of knuckle down on that rather than be in the short form of motorsports as he is right now. Yep, fully agree. And especially considering his past career in endurance racing as well. it's It would be such a lovely full circle moment. It already is because he obviously already is racing in endurance racing with Porsche again. And all the success that he had in the early 2010s uh, with Audi and then with Porsche. Um, Pascal, sorry, Pascal, maybe him as well. Andre, <laughs> the other German uh, raising a Porsche in Formula E. Um, I, I, he, to me, he belongs in an LMDH car. Um, and he did well in Formula E, but he left far too many opportunities unused um i'm thinking back to when in season four he had a tachita with a renault powertrain mm-hmm. and his teammate won the championship in season five his teammate won the championship and andre lotra already back then was pretty much nowhere to be seen he's still waiting for his first victory in formula e um the season in season five when Vern won his second championship Lotra finished eighth behind the likes of, not to insult Daniel App, but Daniel App scored, outscored Andre Lotra. Mm. Um, and so did Robin Freins and many other drivers. Um, how many points is that? 50 points less, uh, about 50 points less than uh, his, his teammate Vern back in that season. Um, and that trend sort of continued through the Porsche years and now into his. First, and I fear, only year with Andretti. Um, mm. As of right now, his teammate is again leading the championship, and Andre Lotterer isn't down in eighth, he's down in 15th. He scored 23 points, Dennis scored 154. So it's 
obvious that something has to change, and I'm sure Roger Griffiths, Andretti's team principal, if he hasn't made that decision already, will be making one very soon, and I don't think it's going to be a decision in favour of Andre Lotterer. And, and actually, controversial perhaps, but I, I wouldn't blame anyone who didn't find the current era of Formula E to, to their liking you know, as as a race driver, because hmm. um, if if you if you take another sport, you know, because I'm thinking thinking about it a lot right now, tennis. Um, uh, whether you are playing on a hard court or a clay court or a grass court, the fundamental mechanics of hitting the tennis ball with the racket are the same. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you 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 play with the same ball most of the time, um, and and so you can you can trust that. Um, even though the ball will come off the surface differently, the f- the feel will the feel will be the same. Um, Formula E, um, you're you're talking about um, these super hard, apparently all weather tires, which are very hard to get up to temperature. Um, you're talking about uh, usually street racing, where there is uh, much less room for uh, mistakes and uh, also where you're expected to do far more in a short space of time. And uh, you've you've got uh, energy management, which obviously is coming into sports car racing in a much bigger way now, but uh, which um, has has been the principal credo of Formula E. It's just... um, a very specialised form of motorsport, and uh, I I was amazed that Robin Fiennes for years was uh, uh, managing to jump into DTM and Formula E almost on alternate weekends uh, because I felt that that was a mental leap that I couldn't have taken as a racing driver. But uh, I'm glad that he could. I you always hear drivers talk about the challenge of Formula E and how they enjoy the style of racing being so different. Um, but this year, especially, and you're you're right on there. This year, especially, the racing in Formula E isn't just about the technicalities of saving energy and the tire warm up. It's a whole the slipstreaming. That's what I'm aiming at. The slipstreaming this year on certain circuits. Rome and London aren't going to be too slipstream festy, um, but still. The, the the kind of racing we got with Gen Three isn't it, it's completely different to what drivers were used to from Gen One and Gen Two, and yeah, you know, that might also be a factor in Andre's decision. Maybe it's it, it isn't Roger Giffitt's decision. It's maybe it might as well be Andre's decision to leave Formula E um, because the style of racing isn't what suits him or what he likes for himself anymore. Um, and maybe endurance racing is, not maybe, it certainly is his style of racing. It's a question of whether he enjoys Formula E on top of it um, and whether he performs in Formula E on top of it as well. <sighs> Hard to say. Would you um, rather race in a Gen 3 or Gen 2 Formula E car? We've now had about one season of yeah gathering information about how how the racing is um are you a fan of of the gen 3 racing or do you (sighs) that's a really good question um you miss gen 2 (laughs) the the thing with gen 2 was uh from a sort of perfectionist point of view it it got the maximum out of the machinery and resources and the frustration for me with gen 3 is it is fundamentally a better design uh and yet there are 
mitigating factors which prevent the drivers and teams from getting the maximum out of that design. So, for example, um, the tyres uh, are clearly clearly not what you would call optimal racing tyres. They, they've been developed to uh, transmit a perfectly noble sustainability message uh, and be the longest lasting race tyres uh, in, in, in the history of motorsport, which they're doing. But they are also um, causing problems in terms of grip and meaning that uh, the the car is uh, I, it starts off being through being um, a couple of seconds uh, a, a lap slower than the Gen Two. I think it's uh, now almost on a par with the Gen Two, but uh, it it was supposed to be a much faster car than the Gen Two, and I think. Uh, while the marketing benefits of having a faster car can be overstated, it's uh, not good optics to have a car that is slower or just on a par with the car it replaces. Also, fast charging would have been so exciting this season. I understand that mm. with the with the crisis in parts supply, uh, they they felt that having fast charging pit stops would be one variable too many this season. But I really hope that they uh, go ahead with having some perhaps hour and a half endurance races uh, endurance style races with a fast charging pit stop strategy just to spice things up a bit I, I also think it would bring a sort of road relevant benefit to the uh, to fair weather fans it would show people ah look these cars charge in exactly the same way uh, my vw id3 does for example i i think it's a, it's a great message to uh, tell people about Definitely, yeah. As far as I know, that's the plan for the future of Formula E, like having two different kinds of race formats, one sprint format uh, without energy saving maybe, and one, I'm hesitant to call it endurance racing, but a kind of racing where energy saving will be relevant. It won't be the sprint race lasting 30 minutes and the other energy saving race lasting one and a half hours but uh, the idea for gen 4 that's what we gather from the uh, tender for the gen 4 car is that there are going to be two different race formats that is only expected for 2026 though um, we may be getting that beforehand as soon as fast charging is introduced. Um, we hope that's sometime next year in 2024. Um, and I share your hope that mm. that might for make Formula e a little more <sighs> interesting. Although that said, it isn't boring at the same time. Uh, but some, it's like 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 when you're cooking. And some spice is still missing. Um, and you need, I don't know, a little bit more salt, a little bit more pepper. Um, and some, yeah, a little bit, Effie is lacking a bit of spice at the moment. Um, hopefully fast charging brings that spice. Hopefully so. Um <laughs> You can discuss and debate all of this, uh, by the way, listeners, uh, on uh, the Motion E Discord server. We've had some uh, absolute banger topics and e even some uh, interesting transfer rumours, which I'm not at liberty to uh, discuss publicly on the podcast. But um, all of those you can find in the Motion E Discord server. We've got uh, 
actually a, a gaggle of real uh, experts on the sport and also me, haha, um, on there. Um, and uh, you can find the link by going to the pinned tweet at the top of the Motion E Twitter site if you are still on that bin fire. Um, or um, <laughs> al- alternatively, um, you can also uh, find us by going through the Motion E website, motione.org. Um Toby, let's just pause for a minute. Tell me a bit about why eFormula has uh, gone with an English Formula E service, how it's doing and what the goal is there. Because it's great to have another English language independent Formula E uh, and electric vehicle uh, publication out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's super exciting still um, to have some, yeah, sort of, English language service now. We've been thinking about this literally since 2015 um, because people came up to me and my colleagues asking, well, what you're doing is cool, but do you have any plans on having an English language site? Because I always have to translate articles and they are good, but I'd like to read them in English and not have to translate them. Um, So that's what we did. Uh, <laughs> we set up a clone of, of our website um, and now all of the hugely German language articles on e4mel.de are being translated to English um, it's not all AI we still yeah, we still translate them um, it's mostly done by AI um, but uh, any article you're reading has been spell checked and Proved, fact-checked by a human still. So it's not, I just said it's a clone. It's it's not really a clone, to be honest. Um, it's a full-on Formula E or EV racing website operation um, that's that's now running alongside E4MLDE. Um, it's a sister site, if you will. Um, and we're covering Formula E in exactly the same depth that we've been doing it for the last couple of years in German. But now we're also doing it in English. And it's super cool. And the the thing I, one of my favorite things about this is it's is how it easy how easy it is to share the articles now, um, because, for example, on my personal Twitter or Instagram, uh, I sort of teased what the content of the article might be, and then people clicked on the link and found out. Well, damn, it's a German page. What am I going to do with it? Um, now I can just share the English link and um, well, you'll find all the good quality reporting we've been doing in German for the last couple of years. Now also in English uh, on e-formula.news. Um, thank you for, for, for the opportunity to <laughs> do some self-promotion here. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, given given I don't pay guests for the podcast, I, I think they should be given free reign to <laughs> promote, their, promote their own work. But um, doesn't it mean massively increased amounts of work for you and the other German reporters having to translate your own pieces? Uh, it is more work, yes. Um, let's say... Um, so so the, most of the translation is done in a couple of seconds, uh, thanks to DeepL. Um, I'm, I'm sure you know about DeepL. Um, it's an AI tool that... Well, we 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 are using for. I don't for know the about DeepL. Oh, DeepL is great. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's an AI tool where you just fill in the text and the translation is 
98% perfect. Um, mm. And it's free of charge as well. Uh, so that's what I've been using to translate press release quotes for my German articles for a couple of years. Um, well, and now we're using it the other way. We're using it to translate German articles to English. And then we sort of just roughen out the edges a bit. Um, let's say it takes an additional oh, 20 minutes per article. Um, and that's on a normal day, on a normal weekday, completely fine. Um, hmm. That said, it's a lot more stressful on race weekends, obviously, because everything is so condensed. Um, and the schedule is like very tight in Formula E, uh, not just for the drivers and the teams, but also for us media folk. Um, hmm. And now having to do it all twice, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is stressful, but uh, we're, we're learning. And we've been doing it since Monaco, and Monaco was a absolute car crash uh, in terms <laughs> of timing uh, because we went live like the Friday uh, before Monaco uh, so 24 hours before the Monaco E-Prix took place <laughs> and with no time to prepare <sighs> it wasn't good um, but now it is and it's a well-oiled machine by now um, yeah and just super cool to see my my work that I've been doing in German for so long now also be available to an English-speaking audience. Excellent stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, two more issues to uh, um, rattle through before I think... I think you need to travel somewhere after we finish this. Am I right? Yeah, somewhere uh, with uh, four, yeah, characters. Uh, ah, start yes, you're, you're off to Rome, of course. Um, and, and ends with Ohm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so so we'll we'll just rattle through these then. Uh, first one is uh, the rookie rookie practice session, which was finally mm. agreed to at the beginning of the season by the teams, is taking place in Rome. Uh, notoriously, one of the circuits that tends to accumulate the most uh, car debris and uh, is one of the more demanding circuits for a new driver. Uh, did they pick the right circuit? Mm. Yes. Yes, okay. we, we, we did get the rookie test in Berlin, of course. Um, if we're honest, Berlin isn't really a Formula E typical track. And the thing most drivers will be looking forward to is finally using, getting to try out a Formula E car in its natural habitat. Hmm. Um, so whether it's Rome or London or Diria or Paris, um, a street track is dangerous everywhere or not dangerous but i don't think they they mind it being in rome uh, any other way than they would have minded it being in mm. london um they get up right they will be getting right up through the walls uh regardless of whether it's in italy or in the uk <laughs> and um who have you seen slated for the rookie practice that you are excited by or that you think could be a harbinger for someone who might be a genuine hire next season um, I think the only genuine hire, maybe there are two genuine possible hires for next year. One of them is Jayan Deruvula. Um, he's mm -hmm. taking the wheel of, Mahind of Mahindra's uh, car. Um, in case there is a change at Mahindra, in case Roberto Mary isn't signed for another year, Deruvula is a very attractive option to Fred Bertrand at the moment. Well, they, they they want they wanted Jihan Daruvala this season, but uh, mm -hmm. due to his existing schedule, he wasn't available. 
Oh, and I feel so sorry for him because he, he's been eyeing that Formula E cockpit for so long. And now he finally has has the golden opportunity of one of their regular main drivers uh, deciding to leave the team halfway through the season. And then it turns out, well, I have to <laughs> contractually, yeah. I have to yeah, go to F2 instead. I, I, I remember years ago um, um, on a podcast which was guested on by... Uh, a former Formula One journalist whose name may or may not be Joe's Award. Um, anyway, um, um, uh, um, uh, Mr. Mr. Award was saying how, um, uh, um, by the way, one of the grumpiest motorsport journalists you will ever um, uh, talk to online, but still, never mind. Um, um, he, he was saying how uh, it was uh, the question was why don't force India hire Karun Chantok uh, that um, be, because you know they would get such such publicity from hiring uh, an Indian driver who's already proven that he, he's decent I mean of course he's turned into an even better pundit now but um, and the, the answer from uh, Mr. Award was well um, Vijay Malia the of course the now disgraced uh, billionaire Vijay Malia uh, wanted to be the hero in the team and he felt with an Indian driver taking his taking mm. taking the credit uh, he couldn't be that they're kind of not looking Mahindra like much of an Indian team except in terms of who pays the bills at the end so mm-hmm. really that they, they they almost uh, it, it would really help the future of the team I, I I I would venture with with the parent company to be promoting an Indian driver who's already proven himself more than competitive in Formula 2. But what are your views on Jihan as a possible driver? I think he's perfectly suited for Mahindra. I don't see him getting to F1 anytime soon. Um, Although he did recently test, I think, for McLaren in F1, but (sighs) he's an F2 champion. He's still racing there, and it seems like just one of those stories where He's been doing everything right for the entirety of his career, and in the end, it's just the timing that doesn't pay off for him. Um, maybe he doesn't have the financial backing other drivers have, um, but in terms of timing, it, of getting to F1, it doesn't look great for Daruvula. Although I'd be super happy if he manages to somehow get a seat there, but if he's not able to go to super formula or find a seat for himself in the world endurance championship formula is his best option and as you rightly say daruvala might also be mahindra's best option uh, so it seems to me like a perfect match for 2024 uh, we'll have to wait and see of course roberto mary being there and being able to prove himself in the cockpit for well half the season now um he does get far more opportunities to like show how good he is, Roberto. That is, um, and there's going to be competition between the two. Obviously, um, my feeling is that the decision is going to be made between um, Jay and Ruvula on one side and Roberto Murray on the other side. I think Lucas Dugesi will stick with the team, and it's just a question of whether they, well, whether Roberto performs. Uh, above par and above standard uh, in the next four races. Uh, if he doesn't, I do see a possibility of Jayan being part of the Formula E paddock next year. And the rookie practice in Rome is also a perfect opportunity for him, for himself, to prove himself. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, the, the stars seem to be lining up well for Jayan at the moment. Um, that said, of course, he will have to do well in the rookie practice um, and. 
that's one of the most interesting parts of the rookie practice in Rome. On one hand, obviously, it's a good opportunity for the drivers to prove themselves, egoistically speaking, to learn something new about Formula E. But for the teams, I think what is far more important than gathering data for mid to long term development is gathering setup information. I think that if the driver, the rookie drivers are lined up well with the regular drivers um, in terms of setup development, any given team that has the best lined up rookie in FP0 might have an advantage going into FP1. And that leads to an advantage in FP2 in qualifying and in the races. So if you have a good rookie for the rookie practice, and Jay and Ruvula might be one of them, if you have a good rookie uh, that sets up, sets the team up on a nice setup trajectory uh, for for the weekend, um, that might be the most valuable thing they, they could give to the team. Uh, setup advice, and uh, not data for long long-term development. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Jayan, how quickly Jayan can give that valuable feedback to Mahinja. Um, because remember, there are lots of great competitors in terms of setup development as well. Uh, Filipe Drogovic is back at mm-hmm. Maserati. He's also one of the candidates for full-time seats uh, there next year. Um, I, I think I just said the Ruvula won the F2 championship last year. That was obviously wrong. Drogovic won it last year. Mm. Um, uh, they are competitors in F2 at the moment and are prospects for FE next year. Um, and um, uh, also, if, if, if you're the kind of person who, uh, going through your mum or dad's CDs, looks at REM and Radiohead and gets them mixed up sometimes in your head, then they are quite similar names, aren't they? Deruval and Djokovic. And especially because on the list that I'm looking at right now, they their names are right below each other. <laughs> so I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll say that was because of mm. the names being so close to each other. And the, the last um, name I'm, I'm looking forward to just finally is uh, D.S. Penske's tester. Uh, it's Jan Alaché from uh, France. Hmm. He's the only driver who hasn't tested an FE car publicly before. And All other he, teams, is, yeah. he is Yvonne Muller's nephew as well. So he is. Touring car royalty. He is. And incredibly good looking as well. Um, yes, he's, he's he's I mean he's the perfect fit for Diaz Penske, and he's the only <laughs> one um, who hasn't taken part in the Berlin rookie test. Of course, um, all the other teams have decided to pick one of their Berlin rookies for the Rome practice. Diaz Penske have decided not to call up Will Stevens or Robert Schwartzman, um, and decided to use one of their sim drivers, uh, Jan Erlache, Uh I think he won the WTCR title two years in a row before the series uh, faltered. Um, now he's just racing in TCR. I think he tested, and that's where the DS link comes from for Peugeot's uh, endurance project in Bahrain uh, early this year or late last year. Um, and he might be an interesting candidate to get for the future as well. I don't see him being on the grid in 2024, but maybe afterwards. Um Really interesting that Diaz have gone with Jan there. 
yeah um i th- i think i think many many british uh, uh listeners may be rooting for will the lad stevens to get a chance in formula e i i know there was a campaign on the part of sam smith last season to to get him that uh, second mclaren drive which went to jay hughes it it would have been fun um i s- still think he's in the, he's in the uh, incredibly given when he was in formula 1 how long ago that was he's still he's still in the age bracket where formula e would work for him so hopefully uh, will the lad gets gets a chance at some point hopefully um but i'm not sure i i never really saw him as apart from sam's and, and sam knows everything about formula e uh, if we're honest uh, mm. apart from sam's reporting i've not heard will stevens's name mentioned um at least i, I mean i've heard his name mentioned yes but to me, it never appeared like he was anywhere close to being on the grid this year. Um, I have to admit, you know, while I have bottomless respect for Sam, um, it, it did feel a little bit sources close to his agent have said, uh, but <laughs> not for me to speculate. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Let's see. Um, Will Stevens is also an incredibly talented driver, but, I mean, we know it. There are so many incredibly talented drivers out there. I'd I'd like to see Will the Lad Stevens on the grid as well, of course. But yeah, I'm not sure how realistic that is for for next year as well. We sh- we shall fi- we shall find out soon <laughs> because uh, out. <laughs> I mean it's it the, the Formula E driving driver market doesn't have as many moving parts as last season when 75% of the grid were out of work. But uh, certainly that there is one out of work driver who. Uh, um, by the way, um, my my heart genuinely goes out to Nick De Vries. Uh, he will not be the last and certainly hasn't been the first driver to be brutally sacked and undermined by Red Bull as an organisation. He joined AlphaTauri off the back of having driven, I think, all the Formula One powertrains in testing. Um, Yeah, uh, having driven all the other three Formula One powertrains in testing and um, um, in in practice, rather. And so having that experience and also having driven um, a... um, pretty good points finishing race <coughs> excuse me for williams uh, the um previous season um at monza um but they they didn't look at his formula e record which suggested last season that his title winning form may have had a little to do with the qualifying format uh, uh and and with capitalizing on that and um also also with the very much um uh, up in the air and um accident dominated nature of that that season's title race don't get me wrong de Vries did a fantastic job to win the title but he was uh the second best driver at mercedes eq last season by a long way behind stoffel van dorn when stoffel won the championship and um it always struck me as baffling that there didn't seem to be much more than an exploratory feeler sent out as to whether Stoffel might be interested in that uh, spare Alpha Tower seat. Perhaps he said he wasn't interested, but um, either way, De Vries seemed like an awkward fit, given that he'd never been part of Red Bull before. Um, he he was famously a McLaren junior driver and then and then a Mercedes uh, backed driver, and. Um, he uh, came into Formula One uh, with Yuki Tsunoda, a rapidly improving uh, driver as a teammate, uh, but also someone who is um, underrated by the majority of F1 fans and uh, 
um, is um, seen as someone who you should you should be beating if you're up to it. Well, I think Sonoda's a bit a bit better than that, and I think having several years of experience of a team means a lot in F1, particularly with with the cars they have right now. Anyway, De Vries is out, and uh, he's now apparently looking at Formula E as an option, um, as as well as uh, sports cars, but. Maserati's come up come up as a possible option, um, oddly to replace Max Gunter given Ed, Edo Mortara's form for much of the season. But uh, yeah, Maserati needs to do something uh, to uh, justify the money being put into them by the parent company next season. Is Nick De Vries the answer, and uh, will he go, will he be the champion or will he be the Chihuahua next season if he returns? Oh, good question. Mm. For for Maserati, it's like squaring the circle. Um, I I if I was in James Rossiter's shoes, I wouldn't fire any of my two drivers at the moment. Um, Max Günther is performing really, really well. Uh, one in Indonesia, um, was on pole there twice in Portland as well. He was on on course for a podium before coming together with uh, Sam Bird in the closing stages of the race. So Max Günther is the one delivering the results this year. Um, and Edo, in the other half of the garage, has a valid contract until 2024, and including 2024. Usually that doesn't mean much in racing, uh, having a contract for a year. Um, but maybe it does matter to James Rossiter. Um, and Max Günther, who, remember, only came in to Maserati MSG because De Vries left uh, on, on short notice to F1, only has a contract until the end of this year with an option of an extension for next year. But Max is factually the driver without a contract for next year. And De Vries is now his main competitor for that contract, either extension or renewal. And <sighs> it, it's, it's, it's almost as though insurance was baked into it because uh you know De, De Vries did sign with the team uh and and then he got then he got well mm -hmm. what is what is still the better option um and uh I, I, he had to go for the F1 drive uh in the same way Alexander Albon had to when he when he vacated the Nissan seat at short notice I I I still feel if you're a young driver and uh you have a realistic chance of getting to F1. Um, when 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 you look at the disparity in pay between the different series and just the the disparity in terms of uh, name recognition, in terms of what it does for your career afterwards, um, you know, realistically, you're going to go for the chance in F1 if you think you're going to get somewhere. And you know, when when we check when we change jobs, when we change careers, we always back ourselves. Um, you know, maybe maybe Toby, you're a little bit younger than me, so uh, you probably haven't changed your job as much as I have. But even when you go into something you're plainly unsuited for, you still back yourself. And I think you know, sports people with their sort of uh, um, positive mindset probably think even more that way. I I don't blame De Vries for going for it. I blame Red Bull for being so terrible to him and for. Uh, basically starting to undermine him after about round three or four with leaks to the press, with uh, Helmut Marco going on podcasts. I, I think it was a toxic environment from the beginning for him. Yep. And in my opinion, that decision was rushed of ousting Nick from that cockpit. 
it's I think looking back in a year's time or something, he'll be glad that he's not in that kind of environment anymore. Um, right now, I just feel so sorry for the man. Um, it's as happy as I am to see Daniel Ricciardo return to a full-time seat in F1. Um, I think they Nick never had a fair chance uh, with Red Bull or AlphaTauri, for that matter. Um, yeah, a rush decision to sack a driver after just ten races. Um, hard to say uh, how how his career continues now, of course, as well. Um, well, he's he's <sighs> not he, he's not going to struggle. Uh, people will remember that uh, Formula Two title. They'll remember yes. the FE title, and uh, yes, he did drive like a drain at times last season. But uh, he, he was he was still he he was he was still getting he was still getting the big points, and uh, he he was still there or thereabouts. Uh, I I think. Um, what we've seen from his recent career is that uh, when he feels loved by his team and when he's given the chance to knuckle down and really get a rhythm going, he can be as fast and, uh, you know, certainly as as good, uh, as capable as anyone else on the grid. Definitely, yeah. Remember the environment he was in during his time with Mercedes. The relationship he had with Albert Lau, his race engineer. The relationship he had with Ian James, the team principal. They were... A unit together and that never was the case for Nick in F1 uh, with his team there um, be interesting to see if maybe McLaren might be an option in FE for him as well um, obviously everyone's talking about Maserati MSG right now mm-hmm. um, but McLaren might be looking for a driver next year or the year after as well um, depending on where Rene Rust decides to go he's a BMW works driver and hasn't started in his endurance racing program with them yet, um, but will be doing so soon uh, in IMSA and in WEC. And if that takes contractual priority, then it might be McLaren might be an interesting option for Nick as well in Formula E. But that's all, all yeah, all in the future. Um, mm. For now, I just hope he's doing well because I haven't heard. Have you had anything from from Nick? Any sort of statement about? being thrown out yet uh, because uh, I, 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 sort of worry I have about not them, i have not and um i would be uh i would be shattered that uh, the thing that i set my entire career up for is is over so quickly i i think mm-hmm. that uh, uh p- particularly for someone who um appears to build so much stock on um on 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 how he's doing and the fact that yep. uh it, i it, i mean this this is the case with anyone but we we all validate ourselves on our jobs to an extent but uh when when you are a sportsman and or sports person and um your entire waking day is based around being good at that sport to be to be told you're not good enough is a crushing blow and it's something he'll take some time to recover from i suspect yep definitely but he'll he will bounce back as well so it's not the end of the world as blunt as that sounds um yeah for, for all that's left for for me and you i guess is 
send virtual hugs out to Nick. Virtual, <laughs> virtual hugs to Nick DeVries, yeah. Virtual so uh, one thing that will be the end of the world, by the way, is if you don't catch your plane to Rome. So uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go now, Toby. But uh, uh, Toby Bloom uh, writes for eFormula News and also eFormula.de. So uh, it, it's eFormula. Sorry, it, it's e-formula.news. Am I right? It's e-formula.news. Yes. Right. And uh, e-formula.de. <laughs> subscribe rate us uh motione.org is the website uh twitter.com forward slash motione.org um uh, also uh mastodon.social forward slash at motione uh i'm not joking we re- really are on mastodon please please come please come join there and uh, also join the discord server thanks very much toby and uh, thanks very much everyone for listening to the motion e podcast enjoy the rest of your uh, weekends mm-hmm.